couple things real quick um, before we get going. You can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. If uh, you wouldn't mind sticking around today, Uh, if you you can't stick around, it's totally fine. It'll help us stack up chairs uh, because this is our last Sunday in this building. Uh, So if you came here for the first time, I'm sorry, but you'll have to find us at another location next week. Uh, if you could probably just talk to somebody around you, they've already been there. Uh, if not, uh, come find me and I'll, I'll tell you how to get to the new place. Uh, and we'll be there next Sunday. And uh, we'll be moving stuff over there today, moving uh, sound and lighting and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if you have a truck and you've got like 15 minutes to spare after service, you know, we're always calling the guys with the trucks. You've ever been that? Have you ever owned a truck? And you're like, hey, can I borrow your truck? My dad is that guy. <laughs> like, hey, dad, I need your truck. So if you have a truck and you drove it up here today, if you could spare us 15 minutes and just throw as many chairs as you can on there, take them to the no- new location, that would be fantastic. If not, then I guess I'll have to do it by myself. And I don't want to do that. Um, all right. So that's what's, that's what's going on. There ain't no reason to clap for that. Uh, so, so, yeah, we'll... Um, I, and I've got some other announcements that are really important uh, because this coming week's going to be very busy for us. Uh, but let's let's get into the word this morning. Um, Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Colossians, chapter three. My mind is somewhere else All right now. Colossians chapter three. We're going to pick it up in verse 18 and go through four one. And uh, you're going to see as we read this, you're going to be thinking, oh gosh, I brought a friend today. Why now? Um, <laughs> All right, let's read. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children. I was just seeing if my children are in here. (laughs) Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Lest they become discouraged. Very, very convicting. Bond servants, and this is going to be very tricky. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I'm going to need to pray again and ask God to help me. God, I thank you for your word in which brings eternal life and light. God, would you just remove me completely from this picture and that the only thing that we'll remember is Christ. That that when we walk out of here, we see how glorious Christ is, how magnificent Christ is, how how eternally uh, good and gracious and how merciful our God is bring life and sanctify us in the word and your word is truth in Jesus name amen I think there are a couple of truths that correlate 
maybe not the only truths that correlate out of this passage, but one that we'll put some focus on. That if you remember back last week, we, we started talking about this overflow of what happens when Christ is inside of us. That when Christ redeems us, when Christ saves us, that an overflow of what happens internally begins to happen. So Christ saves the inside. He doesn't do a remodel. He doesn't do like, well, let's just put this picture here. No, he destroys everything inside of you and rebuilds it. And out of that rebuilding is an overflow of Christ inside of you. It's putting on this new life. It's, it's putting to death, stripping off the ways of the world is what Paul has been saying earlier in this passage and is now putting on this new life. And here is where this new life begins. And let me ask you, did you see where it begins? It begins in the home. Putting on this new life begins inside of the house, of the home. Christ's lordship begins in the day-to-day routine of life where, where parents are... Uh, experience or, or, or displaying those virtues that we talked about last week, compassionate in heart, kindness. And so, so when those parents are teaching these things and, and really just flowing those things out into their children, then their children are raised up in this way of Christ. So this new way begins inside of the hizzy, begins in the home for those of you who don't know what hizzy means. The other thing is that what this idea that we talked about a few weeks ago, that this setting your minds on things that are of above does not mean you can brush aside your family when it comes to your obligations as a parent. Because you can read this and see this. It's like, well, I just need to set my, my mind on things above, and I just need to get more, uh, more into to some hyper-spiritualistic misinterpretation of the gospel. And then you just really forsake those fundamental things of teaching your children what it means to be compassionate. And you miss the things of teaching your children. And and let me go there real quick. And teaching, not teaching, but husbands showing your wives what it means to be kind. And I'm not going to just pick on husbands, but wives showing your husbands what it means to be compassionate. Because maybe he just is a jerk and he just doesn't know so he may need you to help him out with it. You married him, all right? You know him better than I do. And if I want you to, and I want you to see what Paul is doing here. I don't think this is an apologetic look at like, if this is how the family is viewed in culture, then that will win them over. Although I think that is true, but I don't think that may be Paul's point in this. I think what you see here is a teardown of an idol and it is the idol of comfort. There is a way that is right before the Lord, and then the right way, and then there's a way that is right in the eyes of men, but that way leads to destruction according to what Proverbs would tell us. It shows you that there is an attack on these idols because the idols themselves are attacking what the home should look like. And I would pretty much just sum that idol up as comfort. Here's how it works out. I'm going to worship my comfort, and here's how we'll do this. In this framework of home life, marriage, relationships, 
parenting, children viewing their parents. You could even say work, but I, that's not the point of this passage. Is that when things get rough, then the idol inside of me takes over, and, and my marriage stinks, so I'll just, I'll just go find a new one. My wife is terrible, so I'll just go find another wife, because you're all Mr. Perfect, right? <laughs> because you're, it's never your fault. Things get really unsettling when you begin to attack the idol of our heart. Because Paul says, as is fitting to the Lord. So he means this is how you do things. As is fitting to the Lord. Notice what that implies then. Not as fitting to what culture says. So culture says this idol and the idol's name is you do you. That's the idol's name. Name. First name you, middle name do, last name you. You do you. That's what the cultural idol says. And it wrecks our relationships with another. It wrecks our marriages. It wrecks the family unit. It wrecks the home life. Because you're more worried about your comfort than you are about what Christ has called you into. And our culture has really done a pretty good job at redefining what relationships look it's done a really good job at redefining what marriage is and this isn't anything new i mean greek life at times was a very wicked damnable life where paul would talk to uh the church of corinth and he'd tell them about hey i know y'all got some prostitutes going on up into the temple where y'all are worshiping you better stop that we're grown men we're having sex with boys not much has really changed you look today and you, you see the same thing happening. And let's be frank, it's still happening in churches today. A misviewed a, a way of looking at a biblical relationship. Biblical way of sex, biblical way of marriage. That's why you have uh, hundreds of thousands of children involved in sex trafficking in the United States alone that we think we can count. It's why you have the, the hot spot on Sundays is not church, it's going to be pornography. This is the things that the church really didn't want to talk much about, but it's the things that was going on in 2,000 years ago that Paul's like, here's what culture looks like, but here's Christ's way. This is what it means to be as fitting to the Lord we're going to do it his way Paul attacks it head on when he says wives submit to your husbands notice that he doesn't say wives submit to your wives notice that he doesn't say husband submit to your husband or wives submit to your your husband and then the side boy you got over here he doesn't say husbands submit to your your multi-wives he doesn't say any of that. Look, look what he's, he's given us this biblical definition of a relationship. And then he starts with the woman. And anytime Paul, or, or maybe the Bible for that matter, would talk through relationships and marriage, he always started with the women, which is very interesting. Look what he says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. 
and it starts with a woman because how difficult it would be for a man to lead a woman who isn't submitted and willing to follow I'm not going to put a period there his gentle loving leadership not his tyrannical leadership but his gentle and kind compassion remember those little five virtues we talked about and his loving leadership so it's going to be very hard for you husbands to say see there told you because your woman nine out of ten, well, 10 out of 10 times probably going to say well you're not very gentle hmm. women wives rather submit to your husbands I like when he says submit here because he doesn't use uh, uh, what would have been used Roman language obey but submit because it's different you should submit to your husband with love and affection and you should also do it without harming them. You know what I mean? Like, well, I'll submit to you, but... And it's not that you're going to say I'll submit. It's going to be in your actions, right? Now, that, if, you're, if, if it's me, I'm like, okay. Wives, they, that's, that's okay. Then he says to the husbands, which I feel is a harder... Maybe it's just because I'm a man. I feel it's a harder command because he says husbands love your wife not that that's a hard command my wife is here this morning I'm not saying that because she's not here I'm digressing and do not be what does he say harsh with them so husbands here's how you love your wives you love your wives with gentleness and humility that's how you love your wives you aren't viewing them and I know there's some kids in here but they know more than what you let on. Uh, I, I, you, your wife is not your sex slave, husbands. Romance and, and relationship begins far before the bedroom. Getting some weird looks. <laughs> you serve her with gentleness and humility. And, and I, again, I know some of you are like, well, bro, you don't know my, my wife. <laughs> no, I don't. You married her, so now you got her. All right? The Bible would not say, well, then just find another one. Here we go again. This cycle of, of what culture says. No, you serve her with gentleness and humility, even when at times it feels like it's an impossible, impossible task. And then he says this, because he says this eight or nine times, you do this, what, in the Lord. Again, in the Lord, in this passage, in this section, is mentioned eight or nine times. And when the Bible talks about marriage, it's going to give you that phrase. And the Lord is translated in light of the gospel or in light of God's grace. This is not in light of cultural uh, Ways or a culture definition. This is in light of the gospel. So here's what he's saying. Listen, if you married to the jerk of a man or husbands, if you're married to a nagging woman, there shouldn't be no amens at any point right now. You're going to need to remind yourself of things that are in light of the gospel. And in other words, in other words, you're going to need the gospel of Christ 
to get you through. Because that relationship with the wife and the husband is going to be hung on that one idea, the grace of the gospel. You'll need grace to get through it, and you'll need his mercy to get through it. This is a slap in the face to culture. This means that it's going to take work. This means that you're going to have to gospel your heart and see things through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of how Jesus views things. You're going to need a whole lot of grace. Now he gets to our relationship with our children. Now, if, if you're a single parent in here, this is... Just hang with me for a second. I, I'll, I'll explain some things here for us because he's going to talk to dad specifically. But look what he says. Children, obey parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, if, if you could cross-reference this passage with anything, you can go to Ephesians chapter 5. And you can see that Paul is using very similar uh, language here. So obey means you learn to obey God by obeying your parents. And it's funny because the first four commandments uh, are, are about honoring God and six through ten commandments are about honoring relationships with men and women. And right here hinged in the middle of them is the fifth commandment, children obey your parents. Hinged right in the middle. The parents, you have to teach your children how to obey. When a child grows up, it then shifts from obedience to then a respect for your parents. I love this next part. Not mothers, but look what he says, fathers. But if you're a single parent, I believe this could also apply to you. Do not provoke your children. Now, that's very convicting for me. I, I am the father of provoking. But I do it in a sarcasm. I'm going to justify my provoking real quick if I can. <laughs> Mine isn't what he's talking about here. Probably still doesn't make it right. The, the, in, in this context, let me explain why. I'm not sinful, and you are, okay? <laughs> Understand, that's very hypocritical of me. The Roman father could be far too strict in this context, using his power to provoke and even defeat his children. Paul here is using a lighter, more affectionate, and, and a, and a touch, loving touch here. Fathers should reflect their father, their heavenly father, and his care for us. And what this is saying is like, this is, do not negatively motivate your children. Don't poke and jab that would exhaust them. Don't, don't exhaust their spirit. Don't provoke them to anger. You want to provoke your, here's a way you can provoke your kid into uh, living an exhausted life. You could put them in every sports camp you want to. You can think that your kid is the next star. And you can provoke them and provoke them, but it leads to them just end up being exhausted in the end. Yeah, but you don't know my kid. He's a rising star. No, he's probably going to end up on pot if you keep on doing that. 
That's what he's saying. Like, you are constantly provoking your children, trying, getting them to do something that is outside of their realm. And Paul's like, dude, dad, stop doing that. Your voice, parents, let's go both ways here. Y'all's voice and your kids is the most influential voice that they will ever hear. Do not let it be a voice of provoking. Now, he's not saying that you're not going to make your kids angry. Because if that were true, the scripture is probably lying to you. So he's not implying that your kids aren't going to get angry with you. Your kids will get angry with you. He's just saying don't do it by the way of provoking them, poking them, prodding them. Constantly just wanting them to do something. Before I get into this part, let me tell you how important this is. I mean, I can give you statistic after statistic about how how kids who aren't raised in a godly home, how it affects their lives, or, or just a loving and caring and compassionate home for that matter, how it affects their lives. Husbands, it starts, if you are married husbands, it starts with you. It starts with you. You are the priest of your home. When you stand before the Lord, it's not on me. God's not going to be like, well, who was your pastor? Oh, thrower? Oh, you just did a cruddy job with this family. No, he's going to look at you. You are the one that will stand before the Lord on your family's behalf. So feel the weight of that. Single parents, it's on you. It's not on me to do this. We have this godless society that's trying to tear up this idea of a biblical view of relationship. And Paul says there's just one way, and it's the way that is fitting to the Lord. We had a memorial service yesterday for a young man who thought it was better just to end his life, who had three kids. And now this weight is on that one single mom. Dads. This is reality that the enemy is trying to do whatever he can to destroy the family. Because what Ephesians would say is that this is a beautiful picture and a reality of what the gospel looks like. I looked at those kids yesterday in their faces knowing that they would never have a dad their dad again let that be not said of you dad do not let that be the model for you look at um, look at verse 22 because this is this is a fascinating scripture and kind of also frustrating as well. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing 
that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then look here. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Something very frustrating, I suppose, is that I, I don't find an explicit condemnation a verbal type condemnation of this idea of being a bondservant. Now, there are a couple of ideas why that is true. I'm going to say this, not in a, not in a way that would offend, but just a reality of, of, of how I've viewed scriptures. The apostles were not social reformers. They, everywhere they went, they proclaimed the gospel and out of the gospel pro proclamation, through the Holy Spirit, there was transformation. Hear me now, on the flip side of that, that does not mean that you are called to be lazy and not speak out because the Bible will tell you to speak out against injustices. It, it would tell you to be the voice for the injustice. About one-third of Rome's population were slaves. These were not, this was not an ethnic slavery. This was everywhere Rome conquered, <laughs> you a slave. And here's the crazy part about that is that whether you were a doctor or just some uh, a person that did labor, street sweeper, Rome conquered, you became a property of someone. Here's the crazy part about it. Some people would even go into being a slave out of their own choice. So while it's definitely a bad thing here in some ways, and another way, it was a part of how some people just do life. While there is no explicit condemnation of slavery, Paul is using some language that would flip things upside down in their culture. So if you're a slave, they are to serve God in what they are doing. And the key hermeneutical text to find our basis on this is as is pleasing to the Lord. You're a servant, whether that is a doctor, whether that is whatever you're doing, you're doing it as you're pleasing the Lord. Now, here's the problem with this passage. If you're familiar with this passage and if you're familiar with American history, I'll say this real loud. Oh, just kidding. Here's some people in America use this verse and said, Oh, see, we can have slaves. and they're big morons and burning in hell, hopefully. I mean, I'd hope they'd come to Christ, but I'd hope justice was served. <laughs> Matthew, tell me how you really feel. All right, so, so I did. <laughs> now look what he tells the master, because here's how things got really tricky and probably ticked off a lot of people. He says, masters treat them with dignity and respect. So Paul just redefined 
how a master is to treat his servant with justice and fairness. In a sense, there's not an explicit condemnation of slavery in the New Testament, but in another sense, there actually is. If you remember the book of Philemon, when we were doing online church, went through the book of Philemon. I don't know why I said that so disgruntled. Went through the book of Philemon, and Paul tells Philemon, who had this guy named Onesimus, if you remember the story, who was his, most likely his former slave. What does Paul tell Philemon about Onesimus? He says, I know you used to view him as a bondservant, but now what is he supposed to view him as? A brother. So I know some people say, well, the Bible never explicitly speaks out against slavery. Well, no, Paul just said, he's in Christ. He is not your slave. In fact, you view him as a brother. You want to know the interesting thing about this? There's a really weird name found in chapter 4 of Colossians, Tychicus. Funny name. Jude, I knew he would laugh. Tychicus is carrying the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Colossae. And do you know he's got a partner with him? Because nobody wanted to travel alone. You know who Paul sent with Tychicus to carry this letter to the church of Colossae? where Paul is telling the slaves to obey as unto the Lord and telling the slave masters to now treat your slaves with kindness and fairness and justice? The guy who used to be a slave, Onesimus. So yeah, the Bible does actually speak out against slavery. In fact, what the, what the gospel would do, Jesus taught that the greatest in God's kingdom would have become the servant of all. That's Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And such a concept was very unthinkable to a Roman citizen. They prided themselves with freedom and would never identify himself as a bondservant. And so Jesus says, if you want to be viewed as great in the kingdom, you must serve. What Paul has just done to the Roman Empire and to the people of Colossae is he has flipped culture upside down. And he says, your way, culture's way of doing things is not fitting unto the Lord. Here's how God does things. With humility, with respect, with fairness and kindness. That's the way God, and where, again, does that start? Have you not been listening to the sermon? It starts at the home. It doesn't start in Washington. It's not going to start by us waiting on someone to pass legislation. Those sloths up there will not do anything. I was going to go for a more harsh term, but I chose not to. How will we end bigotry and hatred and racism and all of the injustices 
It starts within your home. That's where it begins. This is not a social justice message. This is a message of how and what is fitting unto the Lord and how to transform culture around you. You do so in the home. Husbands, you don't need a new wife. You need Jesus. Wives, you don't need a new husband. You need Jesus. And you know how you're going to get through it in the home? With grace and peace. Single parents, you know how you're going to get through it at home? With grace and mercy. This is not to look at single people and view them with some kind of disgust. But you also have a job in this. You are the parent, so you are not to provoke your child. And how we'll get through this is in light of the gospel. And Jesus will give us the grace and the mercy we need. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for the gospel in which